This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. People don't realize how important Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is the key to the whole coming year. Rosh Hashanah is the key. Well, what we do, what we ask for, what we pray for, that's the key to success in the coming year. Rosh Hashanah is a tremendously important day. Well, two days today, but it's a, a tremendously important. It's the key to our future. It's the key to our destiny. What's going to happen the next year is going to be a good year, bad year, not just for us, but also for Kalal Israel, not just for Kalal Israel, but also for the whole world. It's all dependent on us in terms of what we do, what we think, what we ask for, how we behave on Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah is a key. It's a very, very important day. And it's a very interesting day as well, because it's, uh, we know that from our uh, tradition, that it's a day of judgment. However, this information is not brought down anywhere in the Torah. This is not discussed anywhere in the Torah. The Torah gives the date for Rosh Hashanah as the first of the seventh month. It's the first day of the seventh month, obviously counting the new year from Nisan. So the new year was counted from Nisan, and the Torah counts the seventh month as Tishrei, and it's the beginning of the seventh month is going to be a day of blowing. That's all the Torah says. The Torah says it's a day of blowing. What are we blowing? We're blowing the shofar. It's a mitzvah from the Torah to listen to the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Everything else on Rosh Hashanah is minhag, rabbinical law, but it's not Torah law. Torah law is the mitzvah to hear the shofar. It's a Torah law to hear the mitzvah of shofar. But, so what is this greatness of Rosh Hashanah. So he said, on the one hand, we know it's a day of judgment. How do we know it's a day of judgment? It's a Mishnah. The Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah, at the beginning of the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah, tells us there are four days of judgment in the Jewish calendar. And the Pesach, we're judged on the, on the, veg, on the fruits. And Shavuot, we're judged on the grain. And on Sukkot, we're judged on the water. And Rosh Hashanah, where judge, all humanity is judged. So let's just recap. There are four days of judgment in the Jewish calendar. And this is a Mishnah, which we read. This person is meant to read this Mishnah, the night of Rosh Hashanah. It's the second Mishnah in the first chapter of Rosh Hashanah. Four times in the year, the, the world is judged. On Pesach, on grain. Pesach, we're judged on grain. Atzeret al Perota Ilan on Shavuot were judged on the fruits of the tree. How many fruits? What kind of fruits? What quality? Obviously, talking about in, in Israel, and on Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of Tishrei, all humanity passed before God. All humanity is judged on Rosh Hashanah, and Hashem can see, read their hearts. We flash in front of Hashem, whatever that means. Hashem doesn't need anything. He knows exactly what's going on in our lives. And on Sukkot, we are judged on water. So the water supply in Israel is judged on Sukkot. I guess everyone today needs water. In some places, there's too much water. some places, too little water. The judgment of water is on Sukkot. And now we're moving on to Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah has two aspects to it. How do we know it's a day of judgment? The rabbi is learning out from a verse in Psalms. On the hidden part of our year, of our, of our months. The Kesel Yom Chagenu, which which holiday is on Kesel is in the when the moon is hidden. There's only one holiday 
which is when the moon is hidden. What does that mean, the moon is hidden? All Jewish holidays are usually either in the middle of the month exactly. For example, Pesach is on the 15th of the month, the Jewish month, and Sukkot is on the 15th of the Jewish month. All the other festivals are towards the beginning of the month, but the earliest festival we have is Shavuot on the 6th of the month. The only festival which is when the moon is totally small and hidden is Rosh Hashanah. So on the hidden part of the month, that is the festival of judgment. We learn it from a verse in Psalms, and that is where we learn, our tradition learns out that Rosh Hashanah, the secret day of Rosh Hashanah, the secret message of Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. It's not obvious. It's not written in the Torah anywhere. It's something which we pass down through our oral tradition. So Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. On the other hand, it's also a happy day. It's very strange. We have these two things impinging on each other, the dichotomy. It's a happy day. Why is it a happy day? Because we don't say bidui. We don't say, we don't mention the word sin on Rosh Hashanah. It's interesting. We don't repent for our sins on Rosh Hashanah. Whatever we do, at least not verbally, whatever we do can be in one's mind. It's not a day of expressing teshuva. It's a day of thinking teshuva. So there's no expression of sin on Rosh Hashanah. It's a happy day, but it's also a day of judgment. And therefore, even though there is no bidui, there is no tachanun on Rosh Hashanah, whereas there is on Yom Kippur many times, on Rosh Hashanah, there's no vidui, no tachanun, and no 13 attributes. The only thing we do is blow the shofar, and we're meant to be happy. And on the, on the other hand, or the dichotomy of it is not to be too happy. So even though Rosh Hashanah is a Rosh Chodesh, it's the only Rosh Chodesh, only day of the new month, the new moon, where we don't sing Hallel. Normally, every single Rosh Chodesh, we sing Hallel at the synagogues, on Rosh Hashanah, it's the only new moon, it's the only Rosh Chodesh where there is no Halel. So it's very important to remember, Rosh Hashanah has this dichotomy, dual duality. On the one hand, it's a day of judgment. On the other hand, it's a day of joy. On the day of judgment, there's no Halel. On the day of joy, there's no Tachanun. So it's a combination. We dress up with nice clothes, because we're meant to have a shower and a shave and, a, and wear nice clothes on Rosh Hashanah. And we party on Rosh Hashanah. But a big part of Rosh Hashanah is eating because <laughs> Jewish festival is not complete without food. So Rosh Hashanah, we have special foods, which we have to discuss. And that's the next thing we're going to discuss is Rosh Hashanah. So what do we say so far? We said Rosh Hashanah is the key to the coming year. Will a person get sick, not get sick? Will a person make money or lose money? Will a person have a good job or not a good job? Will a person get married, not get married? Will a person have children, not have children? Everything is up to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the key to the coming year, and we're going to discuss that more in detail as we move along. So it's interesting because the rabbis gave us signposts in our prayers and in our customs of Rosh Hashanah. What is Rosh Hashanah all about? So let's follow the Siddur a little bit and try and divulge this information which is hidden. What is expected of us on Rosh Hashanah? So now it's very interesting because is very little obvious on Rosh Hashanah. We talked about Teshuvah is the Bindui absent from Rosh Hashanah. So what is the signpost in our prayers? What, what does God want from us on Rosh Hashanah? What do the rabbis want from us on Rosh Hashanah? So the first thing we have is when a person comes back from Shul, on the night of Rosh Hashanah, we have something very, very strange, which is not done anywhere else, any other festival, 
this idea of having simanim on the table. Simanim. What are simanim? Certain things, certain kinds of food. It's always food. Certain kinds of foods that are on the table that we actually make special prayers on and we actually eat as well, which are asking for certain things, which are hinting to asking for certain things. In other words, we're hinting to certain things. Again, so Rosh Hashanah is a day where we don't actually express certain things. We're not allowed to express certain things, but we act them out. We feel them, we think them, we eat them. So what are we asking for in these simanim? So I want to go through some of this simanim with you tonight, because that's the beginning of our service of Rosh Hashanah, after you come home. And after you make Kiddush on, on the night of Rosh Hashanah, we take out all these foods on the table. So the one, I'm going through the Sephardic order, the slightly different orders in the Minhagim between Sephardi and Ashkenazi, but basically the foods are the same. The first one on the Sephardic list is Tamarim, which are dates. Now, when we eat the date, number one, we say, we say Bore Pre'aids. We eat two dates normally, one for the bracha of Bore Pre'aids. Don't forget, this is after Hamotzi. We make the bracha of our Bore Pre'aids because the bread does not cover fruits. Bread does not cover fruits unless you normally eat them with bread. So uh, dates are not normally eaten with bread. So we have to make, even though it's after the Hamotzi, we make Bore Pre'aids and we eat one date. And then we say another prayer on the second date. And this prayer is an interesting prayer. That Hashem should get rid of our enemies, his enemies are our enemies, and uh, those that hate us, and those that desire our evil, to do evil to us. And here, the commentaries say, the Kabbalistic commentaries say, we should think about our lower enemies. Enemies in this world, so the first thing we do when we come back to the shul and we say kiddush and we wash our hands and make amotzi, we pray, take a date in our hands, and we pray to God to get rid of our physical enemies who want to destroy us. So here is a good opportunity to pray for safety and security wherever we are and get rid of the enemies. Please, Hashem, very important priority. Priority number one, Rosh Hashanah, is Hashem, get rid of our physical enemies in this world. Number two, we take some spinach, and uh, we we say this uh, this beautiful line that Hashem should use the word silka in Aramaic spinach. Again, should get rid of, should make them move far away, our enemies and those that hate us and those that want bad for us. And here the Kabbalists put over here the commentary. Think of the spiritual enemies and the worlds above who are accusing us in the worlds above of certain misdeeds. Please, Hashem, get rid of our spiritual enemies, the Satan, the Satan, who accuses us all the time. Please, Hashem, get rid of him as well. So get rid of all the spiritual enemies that we have in the worlds above who are accusing us in the worlds above. Number three is karate, which is leak. And here again, we ask for God to play on the word karate. All these things are simanim. What are simanim? They're signs. They give us the symbols of what we are praying for. All these different kinds of foods are symbols of what we're praying for. So, so in other words, we're praying, we're moving our lips, we're saying the words, and we're also thinking about these things, and we're also even eating these things as a symbol to God, to pray to God to get rid of these things, to really do it 
physically, spiritually, in all the different areas of life, in the physical domain, in the spiritual domain, in the world of speech, in the world of thoughts, the world of action. So that's very important, this idea of actually saying the prayer and then eating the food that hints to the prayer. And that really is, we don't see this anywhere else. That's what it means. This is symbolism, the simanim, they call simanim. So we said, shikartu oyved, we should cut off our enemies. And here we are talking about the Kabbalists say, the spiritual enemies that are created by our own misdeeds. We don't realize. The Talmud says when a, a, a person does a mitzvah, they create a defending angel. And a person does a misdeed or an avera, they create an accusing angel. So a person who does a mitzvah creates a defending angel. And a person who does a misdeed creates an accusing angel. And here we're asking that Hashem should get rid of our accusing angels that we ourselves created. We don't realize that we create our own downfall by doing certain things. We create our own heaven and we create our own hell. We create it with our deeds. A person does a good deed, they create part of the heaven. And a person does a bad deed, they create part of the hell. So there's a good deeds, create good angels, defenders. These angels defend us in the, in the worlds above. And the bad deeds create angels that accuse us in the worlds above. So the point is to always get more good angels than bad angels. And if we can, by doing teshuva and by prayer, we can get rid of all the bad angels. That's what we're doing when we eat the leek. We should think. The person eat the leek to destroy all the bad angels that we created, all the spiritual forces of evil that we created with our own misdeeds, Hashem should get rid of them. And then we have gourd. We have some gourd. And the word gourd is kara in Aramaic. So therefore we use the word to symbolize the word tikra, to rip. Hashem should rip any bad decrees against us. Hashem should rip. Again, we said Rosh Hashanah is the key to the whole year. So if there's any bad decrees, the first thing we want to do is get rid of all the bad. Before we start praying for good, we should get rid of all the bad things. And that's exactly what we do. We come home from shul, try on the night of, of Rosh Hashanah, which uh, this, this week, this year is Monday night. We come home from shul, make kiddush, we'll uh, wash hands, we'll, eat, we'll make the hamotzi of the bread, and then we'll start this order of special foods on the table and with a special prayers on these foods so on the gourd we're going to say Hashem please rip up all the bad decrees against us very very critical get rid of all the bad things first get rid of our physical bad enemies get rid of the spiritual bad enemies get rid of the spiritual accusers that we created with our misdeeds and then rip up all the bad decrees and then we can start talking about good things it's interesting now, this is really based on a, on a, on a, a, a verse in Mishlei and parables. In uh, King Solomon says, Sur Keep away from bad and do good. The first priority in life is keep away from bad. Right? That's, uh, I think, one of the, uh, the, uh, the Hippocratic Oath, which is not said anymore, is the idea, do no evil, do no bad. The first thing a doctor has to say is, I will do no evil. So I will not hurt anyone. That is critical. So number one is get rid of the bad. And that's what we do in our prayers. In the things we eat on the night of Rosh Hashanah, first thing we do is pray. Pray, 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 prayer after prayer. One, two, three, four. 
prayers to get rid of the physical evil and the spiritual evil in our lives and to rip up all the bad decrees against us. Bezrat Hashem will be successful. Very powerful prayers. And not just a prayer, but accompanied by words, accompanied by symbolism and things that we actually eat. We actually symbolize that this prayer should be effective in all the different spiritual and physical worlds. And then we continue now with good things. We take the lubia, which is the black-eyed peas or string beans, and we say the word for lubia is uh, the peas, these, these stringy peas, they call lubia in Aramaic. So we use the word, the play of the word lubia is labbebelu, right? Hashem, please increase our merits. How does, that, how does Hashem increase our merits? And the answer is, give us opportunities to increase our merits. Hashem, please give us all opportunities to increase our merits. How does Hashem give us opportunities to increase our merits? And the answer is a beautiful Rambam. The Rambam asks a question on the Shema. Every day in the Shema we say that if we're righteous, Hashem will give our crops in their season and the rains in their times and we'll be able to eat and drink and our cattle and everything will have food. So Rambam says, what kind of reward is that? Is that what we want? Is that truly what we want? The reward for our mitzvot should be food and drink and uh, physical things and cattle. Surely we want the world to come. Surely we want paradise. We want Ganed. So why does that Shema say, I'll give you water, rains and food and crops and cattle? So he says a very interesting thing. He says all these things that Hashem provides for us and promises us in the Shema are the mechanism are the wherewithal to be able to do mitzvot to get our olam So there's a wherewithal, there's the first step, which is the wherewithal. We ask for help, strength, money, but if that's all we're asking for, that's just peanuts. <laughs> that's peanuts in the big scheme of things. We're asking for them to be able to do mitzvot, to increase our merits, to get a whole brand new world, to get a spiritual world which is unending which is unlimited, to get close to God, which is the highest level a person can get. So a person just restricts themselves to asking for physical things. It's like uh, asking for baubles. The kids, uh, the father says, son, I'll give you whatever you want. The kid says, okay, can you buy me a Nintendo, right? That's it. So the father says, okay, I got off easy. You know, he could have asked for a car. He could have asked for a house. He could have asked for, I don't know, a million bucks. But in a kid's world, kids think small. Give me a candy. Okay, so a person asks for physical things, asking for candies. Why not ask for the big thing? But the answer is we need the physical things. We don't need them for their own sake. We need them as a mechanism to be able to earn a real reward, which is amazing. This amazing idea that there's different levels. So don't restrict. A person should never restrict themselves to asking for small things. Uh, David Amelech says, King David says in Psalms, he says, Hashem says, open your mouth wide and I can fill it. I will fill it up. In other words, don't ask for small things. Ask for big things. Ask for massive things. What's the ma- most massive things that we can ask for? David Amelach says, Hashem, I want to stay in your house all the days of my life. And I want to be able to to see your pleasantness. What does that mean? 
In other words, it's not, not just talking about this world, it's talking about the next world as well. I want to be close to you in the next world as well. So that is probably the greatest thing we want. So a person should not just restrict themselves to physical things. So uh, so what we're asking for now, we're asking for positive things. Hashem should increase our merits. How does Hashem increase our merits? By giving us the wherewithal and the opportunities to do merits. So it's an opportunity. Every time a person has an opportunity for merits, they should grab it. They should think of this as an opportunity. Someone asks for help, it's an opportunity. You see someone who needs a ride, it's an opportunity. Need someone who needs need something, it's an opportunity. You have a mitzvah to do early in the morning, say Shema, mitzvah opportunity. Before you go to sleep, Shema, opportunity. All these things are opportunities. You buy clothes, shatnez. You buy a house, mezuzah. All these things are opportunities. Please, Hashem, shower us with opportunities that we should grab and Hashem should call out our merits. Hashem should increase our merits. And then we, the next part is, we take the pomegranate and make sure it's not a, a sour pomegranate. Taste it before. It's good to have sweet things on Rosh Hashanah. Again, the symbolism is very important, Rosh Hashanah. The worst thing, the Benish High says, the worst thing a person can do on Rosh Hashanah is lose their temper. Imagine, Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the year, and the first day should be the best day of the year, because everything follows in line with the beginning. So the beginning is good, but the ending also will be good. All the other days will be good. So the worst thing a person can do is lose their temper. So, so a person comes up from shul, nothing's ready, don't lose your temper, help. Try your best to help and make things happen, but don't lose your temper. It's very, very important. There was a beautiful story of a great rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Fatai. Rabbi Huda Fatai was one of the top Kabbalists um, in the last generation. Rabbi Huda Fatai. Uh, he moves from Iraq, but in Iraq, he said the story happened that it was Erev Rosh Hashanah, and Iraq is boiling hot. It's, it's really towards the end of the summer, it's boiling hot. They would eat their dinners on the roof. The coolest part was not inside the house, but on the roof at night with some cool breezes. So they would go on the roof, and uh, he went up to the roof, and things were not ready. And he didn't, he said, listen, Hashem is testing me. Should I lose my temper? No, I'm not going to lose my temper. He asked his wife what needs to be done. She says, go down and bring this, I bring this, I bring this. He goes down and he brings a heavy tray full of food. And he's walking up the steps and a little cat comes in front of him and trips him up and he falls down and he's, he really wants to go mad. <laughs> but he says, again, Hashem is testing me. I'm not going to lose my temper. That's one story. And so very important to remember on, especially on Rosh Hashanah, but all the days of the whole year, a person try their best never to lose their temper. That is a really amazing, very high level, not to lose one's temper, try and control one's temper. That's a different topic. Uh, I want to give you another story just before I end the topic of uh, temper. Um, and that is the story of a man who very short of cash. This is a very poor couple, very short of cash. And this guy saved up his pennies for Sukkot. He wants to buy a nice set of lulav and etrog, the four species for Sukkot. Don't forget this is in Europe. In Europe, it was practically impossible to find a, a set. Uh, maybe one, every shul had one set for everyone to use. Maybe one rabbi in the town had a set. Everyone would line up outside his house to use it. And that's it. This guy was, was determined to try and save up money to buy at least a good etrog. So he saves up, saves up, saves up. In the meantime, his wife 
is frantic. His, the daughter's getting married. There's no money for the dowry. And uh, she's thinking, you know, where's the money? Where's the money? Oh, my, my husband has a beautiful pair of tefillin. That's worth it from his grandfather. Everyone wants it. It's worth a fortune. Um, maybe we can sell it and buy a less, you know, less uh, beautiful pair of tefillin and have money for the for the wedding. In the meantime, the husband goes and sells his tefillin to buy an etrog. And he comes home on Erev Sukkot. And he tells his wife, guess what, honey? I did a good deal today. She said, what? So you know the tefillin, my grandfather's tefillin is worth a fortune. She said, yes, we need that money. I, oh, you sold it. We need that money for your daughter's dowry. He says, no, I bought an etrog with it. And the wife got so angry, she takes the etrog. And she pulls off the pitom, leaving a big hole. And she throws it at him. She says, that's it. You've really got me angry. Now your daughter needs a dowry. You go and buy this etrog. It's worthless. And so he kept his temper. He didn't lose his temper. That night he has a dream. He says, we weren't impressed so much with the fact that you sold your tefillin to buy the etrog. What impressed us was you didn't lose your temper. So it's very, very critical. Rosh Hashanah especially, not to lose one's temper. Always smile, whatever it is. Smile and be happy because that is a sign for the coming year. If we're happy on Rosh Hashanah, we've got to smile and be happy. So how can a person be happy? It's a day of, a day of judgment. And the answer is, if a person has a munah in God's kindness and in God's mercy and in God's gratuitous giving, that merit alone is enough to get a person through Rosh Hashanah. That merit alone will make a person happy on Rosh Hashanah. We have to be, we have to be in involved in thinking all the time, Hashem is kind, Hashem is merciful, Hashem will get me through this, Hashem will give me a good year, not because I deserve it, but because Hashem gives gratuitously, Hashem is the giver par excellence, Hashem is the one who is kind, Hashem is the one who is merciful, Hashem will give more than anyone else, and therefore I'll get through this Rosh Hashanah, Hashem will give me a good year, not because I deserve it. I'm going to move on with pomegranates. We pray with the pomegranate, the Rimon pomegranate, we should be full of mitzvot like a pomegranate. Apparently, now these I, I never checked it myself. People tell me, yes, really, there are 613 mitzvot. There's 613 seeds in the pomegranate. I don't believe it. I haven't checked it, but if you want to check it, go ahead and count every seed in the in the in the pomegranate and let me know. But um, we should have merits like seeds in a pomegranate. And this is a beautiful Talmud about Resh Lakish. Resh Lakish was a bandit who became a Baal Teshuva and eventually becomes the Chavruta of Rabbi Yochanan, the great Rabbi Yochanan, chief rabbi of Israel. Resh Lakish says, there's no such thing as a Jew who is totally empty of mitzvot. There's even the smallest, the worst Jew, whatever that means, who's not religious, is full of mitzvot like a bodyguard. Even the lowest level spiritual Jew is full of mitzvot like a fat pomegranate. And he bases himself on a verse in Shir Hashirim, in Song of Songs. King Solomon says in Song of Songs, like a flake of pomegranate. So Rabbi Shlakish plays word games. He says, instead of rekatech, read rekanin shebech. 
like a flake of pomegranate, are those who are empty of mitzvot. What does that mean? Even the lowest Jews who look empty, they're full of mitzvot like a pomegranate. Why? Because there's many different types of mitzvot. Right? One is a, is a good in mitzvot between man and God, but maybe they're good between man and man so a person can't judge others we cannot judge others we don't know um, what God considers a mitzvah what they're doing helping other people being kind even a smile at someone a person can earn their ulama so even the worst Jew is full of mitzvah like a pomegranate so we eat pomegranates on Rosh Hashanah maybe to remind Hashem that even though we, we may be a low low down spiritual crystal full of mitzvah like pomegranates Hashem should always give us the ability to be full of its foot, like pomegranates. Then we bring the head uh, of a sheep or a goat or a, whatever it is, uh, we fish or, or chicken or whatever it is, a small piece. It doesn't have to be a whole head. And a person says we should be like the head and not like the tail. We should always be the head and not the tail. In good things, we should be the head of good things. What do you mean the head of good things? We should be the front runner. If they need a minion, I should be the first one there. I should be the head. If I need a, a person to donate, I should be the first one to donate. If you need help with something, I should be the first one to be. We should be the head of everything. It's something which is very good. Teach your children. You should be the head of the class, top of the class, not the bottom of the class. And finally, we this uh, apple. Uh, we have the custom of cooking an apple and sugar, having kind of jam, making a kind of jelly apple jam. Beautiful, oh, tasty, really tasty. We pray that Hashem should give us Hashem should give us a really sweet year, and we should all have a, a really sweet year. So, what else is does the minhagi and the customs of Rosh Hashanah teach us? And the answer is let's look a little bit through some of the prayers on Rosh Hashanah and other things that we do on Rosh Hashanah. It gives us a clue to what Rosh Hashanah is all about. And one of the key prayers that if that are in the Shmona Estray are certain lines that we add. In the first paragraph, there's an amazing line, Zuchreinu lechayim, remember us for life. Melech, the king, hafetz chayim, who desires life. Hashem is our king. So that is one of the key elements of Rosh Hashanah. We're going to talk more about that. We have time. The key elements of Rosh Hashanah is that Hashem is the king. It's the coronation. Why do we blow the shofar? So Ramam says, number one is because to wake up those who are sleeping. So different kinds of sleep. There's physical slumber and there's spiritual slumber. The shofar is a spiritual alarm clock to wake up those who are sleeping the rest of the year from doing mitzvot. The shofar should wake them up. This is day of judgment. But it's also the sound by which we coronate a king in Jewish law. We blow trumpets. Interesting how even the secular authorities in England say, I know, that when the king or queen is coronated, uh, the trumpets blowing. The trumpets are blowing. It's very interesting. Those trumpets are very similar to the same trumpets that Moshe Rabbeinu made. They're just long pipes with the, with the opening. They don't have the, but uh, they're just long chatzotro, they're called. So the shofar was blown, the chatzotro were blown to announce the king's coronation. On Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar. It's also announcement of Hashem's coronation. We are coronating Hashem as the king of the world. And that is a very important concept in Russia. And to remember this idea that there's hidden judgment. It's a happy day. On the other hand, it's a hidden kind of happiness. 
all these different prayers that we pray for to get rid of all the evil in our lives, surrounding us with the spiritual, the physical evils, and then blessing us with merits. Hashem should bless us with merits. And then we get to the Amidah and we pray for Zohreinu Mechayim. Please remember us for life. A God who desires life. Please, Hashem, write us down in the book of life. So Arizal asked the question, what's the difference between remembering us for life and writing us down for life? So one of the answers Rav Chaim Vital gives is, Sukhreil Bechayim is referring to the spiritual side of us. Remember us for life is, remembrance is very spiritual, very esoteric. Remembering thinking in one's head is a very high level. It's on a different plane. It's a spiritual plane. It's the neshama of a person inside the head. So that's a plane of neshama. It's thoughts. Thoughts are about the soul. It can affect the soul. So we ask God, remember us for life. So that's talking about the soul of a person. And then, write us down for life, the physical. Same thing, we, re- we eat these things on, we're making it tangible, making it physical, is the physical life. Please, Hashem, give us a physical life. Write us down for life as well. Give us a physical life as well, please, Hashem. Think our souls for life and write our bodies for life as well. Write our physical side for life. You are the king. This is your day. We're coronating you. We are your subjects, Hashem. Remember us in both for spiritual side and physical side. And we continue with the bottom line. At the end of the Shemona week. this is what we're praying for in Rosh Hashanah. In the book of life, in the book of blessings, in the book of peace, in the, in the book of good sustenance, and salvation. And Nechama and comfort, please write us down in this book of salvation. We don't really appreciate, but as many times a day a person is being saved by Hashem. Hashem saves a person numerous times a day. Today I was on the bus and I I uh, try to get off, and the bus stops abruptly, and I go flying. Thank God I landed in the seat. <laughs> I could landed. Who knows where? So again, it's salvation. Hashem provides salvation. Hashem gives us salvation many times a day. We don't appreciate, we don't think about it, we're saved. We cross the road, absentmindedly, and thank Hashem saves us. So these are Yeshua. Write us in the book of salvation. Write us in the book of comfort. Sometimes bad things happen. We need comfort, Hashem. Write us in the book of comfort. And good decrees on us. Hashem should write us in the book of good decrees. Remember us, we said remembrance is on the spiritual side, Nikatev on the physical side, Israel. we and all the people of Israel. So when we pray, we don't just pray for ourselves. That's a, a very, very selfish prayer. Um, you want to pray, pray a generous prayer. For all of Amcha Israel, all your nation of Israel should have a good and peaceful life. Hashem will answer our prayers. So that's a very important element of Rosh Hashanah. It's praying for the year, praying. So the rabbis gave us things to pray for. What do we pray for? They wrote down the words for us. Most important elements of our lives. And then we move on with the reading of the Torah. Now it's interesting because what is the connection of the Torah reading to Rosh Hashanah? So what is the Torah reading all about? The first day the Torah reading is Hashem remembers Sarah. Sarah was a woman, barren woman, 90 years old. A 90-year-old woman who was childless, never had a baby. 
and Hashem remembers Sarah and gives her a baby. That's the reading on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So Rabbi said she prayed on Rosh Hashanah. Her prayers on Rosh Hashanah were the key. The fact that she prayed on that day was a key to acceptance of her prayers by God. God accepted the prayers of Hannah. We have to understand that is the key of Rosh Hashanah is it's a special day of prayer. People don't know that. It's a special day of prayer. All the requests a person makes with truth, with all their hearts, and with the right intentions will be answered. All the prayers a person makes with truth and the right intentions, obviously Hashem wants to give more than we can ever imagine. The, the father wants to give the son, the mother wants to give the child more than the child wants, the parents want to give. So too, Hashem is our giver, is our creator. He wants to give us as well. So it's a key to success is Rosh Hashanah. What we, words we use on Rosh Hashanah is very, very critical. We see this 90-year-old barren woman Sarah, our mother, was given a child, was remembered on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem remembered Sarah, and she got a child who she called Yitzchak. Yitzchak means laughter. She called the baby laughter. Hashem says, name this baby laughter, because when you heard this good news, you laughed. And that's our lives should be full of laughter. We should all have a life full of laughter and cheerfulness. And it's interesting because what we do on Rosh Hashanah it's going to lead to more of the same on the rest of the year. So we, we smile a lot on Rosh Hashanah. We're happy in Rosh Hashanah. We're going to have a very happy year. But it's rather shame. It's critical what we do on Rosh Hashanah. So that's what the Torah really is telling us. The prayers we make on Rosh Hashanah have tremendous effect. can even lead to miraculous events like a 90-year-old woman having a baby after many years with a husband of barrenness. And that's a tremendous uh, lesson for us, Rosh Hashanah. Number two is, the Haftarah we read is also about a separate case called Chana. Chana was the wife of Elimelech, who was one of the judges of Israel. And she also could not have a child. And every year she would go to the Mishkan, which is a moving temple in those days, and she would pray for a child. But it's interesting, the way she prayed was not the same way we pray. In fact, what we think of prayer, she is the forerunner of our Shmona Esrei Ram Amida, our silent prayer. She prayed internally. Her lips were moving, but no sound would coming out. She taught us how to pray effectively. And again, this story is read on Rosh Hashanah. Teach us the power of prayer in general, but especially the power of prayer on Rosh Hashanah can change our lives literally can change our lives. Hashem will answer those prayers if they're truthful prayers, if they pray with all one's heart and all soul. You look at the story, you read the story of Haftarah, of Hannah, and again, we see that one of the keys to the year is Rosh Hashanah. One of the keys to our lives is the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, how we focus on Rosh Hashanah. It's not a day for frivolity. It's not a day for touring. It's not a day for taking long walks. It's a day for focusing on number one, God is our king. Number two is we're happy. Why are we happy? We trust in God's mercy. We trust in God's kindness. We trust in God's gratuitous giving. Number four is we're not so happy. Why? Because it's also a day of judgment. And we got to pray. That's that's the key. The key is our prayers. What we pray for, just follow the Shemona Estrella and we'll see what we pray for. We pray for life, different kind of life. So Hashanah got answered. Sarah gets answered on Rosh Hashanah, very important key 
to understanding the day of Rosh Hashanah, the importance of the day of Rosh Hashanah. And then we move on to one of the most critical parts of Rosh Hashanah, and that is the Musaf. You have to really pray this Musaf with tremendous focus and concentration, because there are three extra brachot in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah which don't exist anywhere else. Three extra brachot. Normally, there are seven blessings in the Shemona Esrei of every Yom Tov. There are seven blessings in Amidah of Yom Tov. Of Rosh Hashanah, there are nine. There are nine, two extras. Not really two extras. There's three whole blessings extra. We incorporate one of the extra ones, the extra one on Yom Tov, uh, into one of the extra blessings. So we have three extras instead of one extra. And one of those three blessings, very important, they teach us what the whole day is all about. What is Rosh Hashanah all about? The first set of blessings is called Malchuyot, where we talk about Hashem as the king of the universe, as I mentioned. God is the king of the universe. The only problem is no one, no one recognizes him as the king. The, the world does not recognize God as the king. And that's why we on Rosh Hashanah coronate God is the king, we build the shofar to coronate him, and we pray that everyone else in the world should recognize God as the king. The destiny of humanity is to come to this realization. Whereas human kings rule in accordance with the principle of might makes right, God is the holy king. Beyond comparison in his power, whatever he wills, he can do. It is also the father and the king of the orphan and the widow and those who are powerless. He is an amazing king. He's the greatest king because he's a giver. He's not there to show power and, and torture people and force people. He's there to give and help. And that's our king. We want the whole world to recognize the king. So we recognize the king on Roshana. We want the whole world to recognize the king as well. And eventually they will. Now we come to the other section. The next section is Zichronot. The extra prayer in the Musaf is Zichronot. Remember, remembrances. Hashem remembers. What do you mean here? Hashem remembers? What do I mean? Hashem remembers. Hashgacha pratit beklalit. Hashem is the one in total control on us on an individual level, in the microcosm, and also in the macrocosm. So anything that we ourselves do. Obviously, Hashem allowed us to do it. Anything which is beyond our free will that happens to us with no human input, for example, it's going to rain, it's going to storm, that's Hashem. That's Hashem's power. That's Hashgacha. Hashgacha is divine providence. There's, physical, there's divine providence in the macro, in terms of the world, in terms of the country, in terms of the city, and there's divine macro, uh, Hashgacha, divine uh, providence in the micro level every single one of us we believe in divine providence one of the principles of our belief is this idea that god is in control total control obviously he lets us he gives us free choice but outside of our free choice and other people's free choice hashem is totally in control so things happen to us which we can never plan i know in my life certain things happen to me that can never be planned how i met my wife how I found a job, how I got an even better job, and how I moved to Israel. All of these things uh, could never be planned entirely without Hashem's hashkacha, Hashem's providence. We have to pray to Hashem because He is in control. So Hashem is the king. He's not the king that walked away. 
He's not the creator that walked away, as Einstein talked about. He's the creator and the king that stayed very much in touch. And the more we believe, Rambam says, amazing concept, the more we think about God, the more active God is in our lives. The less we think about God, the less we bring God into our lives, the less active he is in our lives. In other words, the level of divine providence depends on us. What we think about God is the level of providence we get. The closeness we achieve with God is the closer the providence is on God. We see this Abraham Avinu, Abraham, his life. Hashem protected him and helped him in many different areas of his life. Why? Because Abraham chose Hashem. Hashem is in touch with those who are in touch with him. So a very important idea of divine providence. That's the shuf, that's the zikronot. Hashem remembers every human being. He knows exactly what everyone's thinking. He has divine providence in the macro level. And he has divine providence in the micro level. We ask Hashem for his ashkacha on us as individuals and on the people of Israel. That's what it means. Remember us, Hashem. Have you put your hashgacha, put your divine providence over us, protect us, divine providence. And lastly, the, um, the extra bracha of the Musaf is the shofarot, the blast of the shofar. <laughs> what, what do we remember? The blast of the shofar. We remember the giving of the Torah. Hashem blasted the shofar at Mount Sinai. And that shofar blowing was unlike any other shofar blowing ever. And that is why, because it got louder and louder and louder. Normally, the person blows the shofar, runs out of breath, and then the shofar starts off loud and gets softer and softer. The shofar on Harasinai just kept on going, getting louder and louder. That is, so Hashem is revealing himself. The shofar means Hashem reveals himself to humanity. At Sinai, Hashem revealed himself to us. We ask Hashem, the shofar, in the final parts of time to reveal himself to all humanity. And the shofar we've known during the final battles of Israel, that we sounded when our exiles return, that we sounded when the temple will be built, is a sound signifying the presence of the majesty of God. We ask that it be surround, sounded again when the Mashiach comes. And that's really the extra part of understanding Rosh Hashanah. What is all Rosh Hashanah about? Let's just recap very quickly. We pray for certain things. We focus on certain things. We actually eat the things we pray for. We actually eat the symbols of the things we pray for to make it more physical. The prayer should actually come true. And the way we act on Rosh Hashanah, never lose your temper on Rosh Hashanah. Always be happy. A kind of quiet happiness. A kind of quiet fulfillment and joy inside, not outside. Don't, don't burst down laughter on Rosh Hashanah. It's also a day of judgment. So it's on the one side, it's a happy on the other hand, it's also very serious. And then we have to focus on our prayers. What the prayers teach us, it teaches us that the keys to our destiny are in our hands. Prayer on Rosh Hashanah is a tremendous key to the whole year. We learn it from Sarah, who's answered Rosh Hashanah. We learn from Hannah, who's answered Rosh Hashanah. And then we have three special blessings that we ask for. Uh, we claim God, proclaim God as the king of the universe, we ask his kingship should be accepted by all humanity, that shofar should be blown, and uh, Hashem should remember us, Hashem's divine providence should be over us in the microcosm, and also the macrocosm, I wish you all, Shana Tova You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.